you have this natural uh, uh, rivalry, which is, and, and I think Belgians by and large have a, a bit of a chip on their shoulder. I mean, Holland is a, is a, um, you know, is is a different place. Uh, a little more glamorized. Uh, maybe. I'm, 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 now I'm. <laughs> now I'm, you're being careful. Now, now I'm being very careful. <laughs> um, I love you both, but um, I, I think they have a bit of a chip on their shoulder. But they, here's the here's where it gets interesting, right? Is because not not only did they not have a, um, a Belgian win, um, but even if Philippe Gilbert had won, he he is from Gilbert, who got third from Quickstep. He is from Belgium but he's from the French-speaking part of Belgium. So it gets even nastier, right? You've got maybe a Belgian and a Dutch rivalry, but within Belgium, you have Flanders and you have Wallonia. One speaks Flemish, the other speaks French, and then that's really intense. Can't they just hug it out? Uh, you know, they're, they're very, very different, man. I'm telling you, I mean, so, so Gilbert might have won, and there would have been plenty of people from Flanders like, oh, shit. Back to the Stages podcast. I'm Lance Armstrong with my co-host JB Hager. Yep, talking about the, talking about the Tour of Flanders. Ended up being an exciting race. But before we get to um, to the race itself, uh, I, I just wanted to touch on one thing right quick. Um, we we've talked about this a couple of times in the season preview and other things. I was scheduled to attend this race in person as a guest of uh, of Walter, uh, the race owner. Um, and, and as I said in the, in my statement last week, I had a, a family matter, uh, come up that was, um, that was serious enough that I needed to stay here. And, and, um, Walter was such a gentleman about it. Um, the message from him, which is the message that, that, that I've sort of, um, um, made, you know, led to my decision was family first. And so, uh, I'm sure that was a difficult phone call. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, you know, it was because there was so much uh, when he decided to invite me as, as his guest and asked me to speak at the, the, the first gala that they had there at the Flanders uh, Institute of Business. You know, he got a lot of criticism uh, from a few people. I think I said that right. A lot from a few. And then, and, and, but he also had a lot of support. So it was, but it was a, it was a, you know, not an easy decision for him to make, to invite me. And so I, I felt I was really torn between uh, trying to honor the commitment and and um, and be true to him, but at the end of the day, this this issue that that my family's dealing with was was way more important. So, um, so we we didn't uh, we didn't go. We sat around, you know, the 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 cabana out back and watched it on Fubo, which was they did a great job with I've the coverage. Never, I've never watched a bike race on this Fubo thing. I had I didn't even know what that yeah. was or that that existed. And it's Fubo TV. If if anyone's interested in watching some of the upcoming races. Uh, so you can kind of share and with, with us and that it's pretty impressive on a live stream on your computer, but if you have a newer generation, Apple TV or anything like that, it syncs with that. So we watched yeah. it like normal television and it was pretty impressive. Yeah, no, I, I gotta, I gotta give it to him. Well, we did watch it on a normal television, which was, which was cool. You did as opposed to your phone or your laptop. Um, but look to me, the, the, the main headline, and we'll get into this later on in the show was was so many to me like people look at cycling or think about cycling and they think it's an individual sport 
You know, you saw Nikki Terpster, congratulations to him. He came across the line all alone. You know, for the mm-hmm. average person, that looks like, you know, the guy winning the New York City Marathon where he's coming across all alone. But when you get to know the sport, and many of you listening do know the sport, I mean, if there was ever a day where um, uh, where it was so overwhelmingly um, on display, the, the, the level of teamwork from Quick Step, I mean, this is a team game, and and today was, I mean, quick step. It was it was teamwork one on one today. It is easy, especially when you talk about the tough one day classics, to think an individual can just do whatever they want. Yeah. So we'll get into that more so at the end. Right, and just one more thing. Sorry, but just compare and contrast to Peter Sagan, uh, the over, you know the overwhelming favorite to win this Tour of Flanders. Um, w- without a team. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we can get into and, and, and break down later on. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you just to start preparing, you know, what do you do <laughs> moving forward? Whether you're, we know what Quick Step's going to do, but what do you do for the rest of the guys? So we'll get into that in a little bit. What does bit. Peter Sagan do? Yeah. Well, save it. Save it for the okay, end. Okay. Save that you for know the what? End. I'm going to save it. <laughs> Maybe ask me later. Because I want to ask you about that. But I, w- I want to go, it's uh, it's very interesting, and that's the whole point of this, is sitting down w- with Lance while uh, a race is happening and the things that you see that as a race fan, having watched it for years, you don't notice. Mm-hmm. There's so many things today. So let's let's talk about some of the things that you broke down for me that as an average fan, I wouldn't have even brought it to my attention right. whatsoever. Uh, one of the first things you brought up that really caught my ear is you pointed out all the fans, whenever they would get to a cobble section, you pointed out how many fans are holding wheel sets. Yep. And I, I say friends, they're, they're friends and family and helpers of the team. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, they could be anybody uh, associated with the team. It could be, I mean, gosh, it could, it could be the bus driver. It could be uh, um, the neighbor of of, uh, you know, where, where their service course is, where their headquarters is. But the, but the, the point of this, of, that I'm trying to make is that when, when you have a cobbled race and the roads are that narrow and the field is strung out, you know, obviously in most races, if, if a rider needs a, a wheel change, he gets it from the team car. But when these, these, these cars, when the roads, again, are that narrow, they're so far behind that it would it would take minutes, which is and I, means I even noticed over. on a couple of them. Correct me if I'm wrong. The team cars would go around the old cobble climb. They wouldn't even go up the same section. Some of them they're probably not allowed to go on, um, just because they are so narrow. And if uh, I mean, there's that old great old photo of Jesper, Jesper Skibby getting run over by that old BMW on um, gosh, one of those cobble climbs and just completely tacoing his wheels. Um, but these, yeah, so the, the, uh, it's interesting. I mean, you, you'll find a, a, a fan of the team or uh, one of the staff members at the office that they'll give them a Jersey. They'll stand there with a front and a rear wheel. They'll stand there with some bottles, maybe some gels and, and just sh- in case. Yeah. And right? sure enough, we saw a rider with a mechanical and somebody comes running from the crowd yeah. with a wheel set. That's yeah. cool. I had never noticed that before. You were also very quick to point out the difference between, how some of the riders were dressed versus mm-hmm. others. Some were loaded down, leg warmers, jackets, and you know, you're talking about a six hour day starting out wet. Mm. And some are wearing nothing. I know. Well, it's the, that like it like like a lot of things in life. I mean, certain people um, run hot, some people run cold. And so, or you know, or somebody's or you know, you might have somebody from Russia and you might have somebody from 
from Colombia. So those obviously they're used to different climates growing up. They they can handle cold temperatures. By the way, uh, it was than, in the mid forties. Yeah, started most of the race for the second uh, classic in a row. We started in the cold rain. And ended up with dry sunshine. So again, for the riders, you know, when they get that message uh, through their earpiece that it's sunny at the finish, buddy, that's that's on a long, cold, wet day. That is, but if you're not like Christmas, if you're a person that that doesn't handle the cold well, and for six hours wearing those leg warmers that have been you know wet soaked half the day, yeah. and the jacket and the heavier gloves and. That's got to take a toll on you to a degree. Look, and some of these guys start the race knowing that they're only going to ride 150, 200 kilometers. So they might start like that, thinking, shit, I'm going to get dropped and, and I'll just, I'll just might pull, as well stay comfortable. I'm, I'm going to pull out anyways, so I may as well stay comfortable. And then lo and behold, um, I mean, the, there was the, one of the final breakaways. It was two guys. One guy literally had everything on in his closet, it seemed like. And the other dude had no arm warmers, no leg warmers, no gloves. No nothing. And so, you know, I suspect he he expected to be there. Uh, and the other guy was like, I'm just going to ride for four hours and get out of here. And I think you said earlier that this is a newer thing with Flanders and maybe one of the only races that does it, but repeating some of these cobbled sections. Yes. So the fans got to see him come by more than, you know, one fleeting moment, yeah, no, which I that, think is great. But that's a, it's amazing. And that's what Walter has done. I mean, for, the, for those of you who were able to watch it on TV – um, he, he's really revolutionized and modernized, uh, the race. I'm sure that there are people that do not like it, that there are people that don't like that. You don't do the Gerhardsburg, the, the Muir to Gerhardsburg and the Bosberg and then finish. But what he did is he came in and he said, okay, you know, he probably looked at, uh, previous editions, realized that the crowds on the old Quermont, which is the most iconic climb in the race were the biggest. And he said, well, why wouldn't we go do it? three times and build grandstands and beer gardens and big screen TVs. And, and that's exactly what he did. And so it's, it's a, it's a, it's a modern version of a, of a race that's been around, gosh, since 1913. So 105 years. And, um, but you look, you can't argue with the way he's done it. The crowds were massive. The energy, uh, was massive. And, um, you know, he, he's got a vision for, uh, for cycling that I think, you know, I think many could could and should emulate. Well, that makes sense to me. If, like, if you're a fan and you can go out near one of these historic climbs and really essentially be in a beer garden watching it on big screens all day, right? And then when they're coming by, you rush to the road. It's not like they're all waiting by the road all day. No, no, they're not, <laughs> especially in the cold rain. Right? Yeah. Uh, it's pretty cool. Um Another thing I would have never noticed had you not pointed out is is how different some sections of the roads are. Everyone talks about the cobbles, especially in Flanders, but the concrete roads and the split in the right, middle. Right. We saw a big do, crash. Do your best it's, to describe that. It's to very difficult. It, it, folks, you kind of have to have been there, but but you know, in America, especially, we build roads primarily with with asphalt, right? Maybe if you're out in the country, it's like a chip seal. These roads uh, in Flanders and in that part of, uh, of Belgium, are, the roads, the actual pavement is um, concrete. So, you know, they've been around a long time um, and, they're, and they're nice. They're smooth. The only problem is that a lot of the time between the two, imagine that you, you, they essentially build two concrete lanes that come together. 
but they don't perfectly come together. So in the middle of the road, if you're driving a car, you would never notice this. It's probably so they can flex with temperatures like a bridge, right? I, maybe. I'm not a road builder. But, <laughs> um, but uh, and if you're just riding your bike alone, you would never notice it either. You only notice it when you're in a race where the roads are closed and you're in the middle of the road. I mean, it's about a one or two inch gap sometimes. And so riders, of course, the last thing you want to do is get a front wheel in a one inch gap going 30 miles an hour. You don't want to do that. So what they end up doing is hopping over it back and forth, back and forth. If you're in the middle of the Peloton, and of course, when you're doing that, you know, everybody around you is, is getting, trying to get away from you. I suspect that, you know, the one pile up with a couple hours to go, I suspect that's what happened because it happened right in the middle of the group. Somebody either got stuck in that crack or was bouncing around to not get stuck. And, and, that and that's when it was raining, it was wet, and then it was just, you know, like dominoes. And the uh, if you didn't get to see it this morning, the one dude that had what looked like a pretty slow tumble fell over to the side into the grass and mud, and then you realize what was catching him as he before he went over the yeah, edge. Yeah, that got right at the bottom <laughs> of the old Quermont, the, the guy on... Um, um, EF Draypack, uh, this, uh, I don't know where he's from, but he, he was, it reminded me of the, that, in this course, this crash, um, we may see images later that, that rivals the one from the tour a couple of years ago when Johnny Hogerland's for you cycling fans, when Johnny Hogerland, that car tried to come around the moron driving this car and nudged him and he goes flying into the barbed wire. I mean, he got, it, it was like a shark bite. I mean, it was, it was nuts. And so this poor guy had the bad luck of, or the misfortune of crashing and um, and then when he's rolling off the road, the thing that stopped him was a bunch of barbed wire. The guy just, I mean, it looked like pure agony. I mean, yeah. just think about it. You're suffering, you're bunched up, you're hitting cobbles and mud, and then you roll into some barbed wire. Yeah. Not many sports that do that. No. <laughs> involve you know, barbed wire. Well, this is, you know, <laughs> this is this is such an easy game. The other thing I, I observe a lot of that I would love to have you describe, because so many of the riders, you, you know, they're trying to be aggressive up these cobble hills that can be as steep as 20% yep. on parts of it. And they look like they're just want to stand up so bad. Yep. And each time they stand up, it's like, before you know it, within two seconds, their, their butts right back on the saddle. Yep. Is it, it must just be that hard to climb standing when, up when it's that steep and when they're wet. And even today, you'll, you would have noticed, uh, even when the rain stopped, the, the, the cobblestones stay, they stay slick. They don't, it, it takes a few hours of, of real sunshine to dry them out. So if they're, it's uh, like, is it kind of like a low water crossing, how it just stays kind of, it's not that and, slippery. It's not, it, there's not moss on them, yeah. um, but they're just slippery. So you cannot stand up. And uh, so the guys have to stay in the saddle, which then just goes to this next layer of certain riders are, are better in the saddle than others. And so, you know, the tendency, yes, especially to, uh, if you're getting dropped or to try to accelerate is to stand up, to, to, to go faster. You just can't, you gotta stay, you gotta sit right in it. And, um, and again, you know, when it's steep, if it's 20% and the cobbles are that rough and they're moist, you have to sit down. I mean, we saw it today. There were riders walking. They were walking. I mean, <laughs> I, I was like, oh, I don't know about that, this look for, for cycling. But if, if, if a guy falls in front of you or, or gets unclipped or drops a chain, again. you just can't get going again yeah. when it's that steep. Um, I mean, 
You know, one of the things um, that I asked Lance about earlier, you know, obviously we didn't have a Belgian winner, Mm-mm. but they represent well, right, on their home turf. I was like, when you're an amateur or a junior level rider, are they riding these same cobbles? Like, I mean, is it second nature if, to if them? You're a, if you're a young kid, well, first of all, they had, they did, the, the Belgians did not win the race individually, but a Belgian team won. So you had a Dutch rider um, from a Belgian team. I mean, talk about the, a bipolar fan, right? So they're going, oh my God, like a Dutch, I mean, that's like, you know, Texas and Oklahoma. Like, you, you, <laughs> No, that's not, that's not cool. And you haven't had a Dutch winner in 32 years since Adri van der Poel. Um, so, uh, but yes, as a young, as a, you know, uh, um, as a young rider, they, they, they know if you're from that area, I mean, if you're from the French speaking part of Belgium, Wallonia, you're not riding the old Quermont, but if you grow up in Flanders, those are your, those are your rows you know, those local boys, they know every stone on that climb. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's a, that's what they call a home field advantage. Right. Right. Being a Texan, a home field advantage might be heat. Mm. It's kind of like that. I, I for hate them. the heat. I hate the heat. <laughs> Man, I think that's because I'm just, for many. I'm old and just, <laughs> I'm just over it. Uh, we learned a cool story about one of the climbs. And I'll let you share it the Paderberg climb. Yeah, yeah. So when you, I, I, I've never taken the time to do this, but as we were watching, um, I was just kind of reading through the uh, Wikipedia page for Tour Flanders. And as you get down to the bottom, um, they start to to go into the different climbs, and these are all really iconic climbs. And there's actually Wikipedia pages uh, dedicated to each of these climbs. So you can go look at the history of the climb, the inspiration of the name of the climb. You know, there's I say there's you know, um, and so I I was the the last climb of the day is the Pottersburg, which, you know. Arguably, the last climb of the day is the most important. So I was like, oh, I should probably check that out. Well, it turns out this this uh, hill uh, and road was a dirt road until 1986. And look at this is according to Wikipedia, which, if it's true, is fucking amazing. So it was um, uh, so it's been included in the Tour of Flanders every year since its first inclusion in '86. So before 1986, it was a dirt road. And at that point in 1986, a local farmer paved the road in cobblestones because he wanted the Tour of Flanders to go by his house. <laughs> now that is... He built, or probably individually. We, like we, your friends just don't exactly get well, involved with that. <laughs> I mean, it's 400 meters long. Wow. I mean, we've talked about, and everybody really knows how passionate Belgians are for cycling. I don't know the farmer, his name or who the hell he was, but that's some passion. I want this race to come by my house so bad that I am going to, by myself, pave 400 meters with cobblestones so the race can come over here. That's, that's awesome. amazing. I think that that's a testament to their their love of it, right? Yeah. What's the dude's I'm, name? I'm maybe his name is Potter. <laughs> maybe he's maybe he's Potter from the Potterberg. The Berg the Berg always means a hill. So when they say the Bergs, that means the hills. So the name before it is. You know, old, old old farmer potters out yeah. there flipping who, stones again. Who knows? Yeah, you got <laughs> he, he the Kreuzberg, the, the Molenberg, the Koppenberg, the Tienberg, the Berg Destin, the Leiberg, the uh, the Valkenberg. So you sound that's the Berg means the hill, the climb. Well, the farmer built a road just to have. I hope he lived to see the day. 
you know, I hope it's not one of it was this old guy that passed away before. As soon as he happened. did it, they had it the first year, 1986. There so he had, he had, unless he died like on the last stone. <laughs> that would be. suck. It could be. It could be. Uh, another observation today. Again, the the Fubo TV coverage was Im- impressive. I mean, yeah, the I got footage. It. The, the only here's the only, the only thing I will say, and maybe it was just. Uh, um, I'm assuming that they pull that stream from from the international feed, which the Tour Flanders sends out. Um, I just want to, first of all, give a shout out to the women that also did uh, the women's tour of Flanders today, hours and hours and hours before the men. You know, when they're the last 30 minutes of the women's race is at a point in time in the men's race when it's not that exciting. It was right around 85K. Yeah, it was I mean, not a real big moment. We could split the screen and show mm-hmm. the women's race and show the women's winner. We could, um, or we could just dedicate the entire screen to mm-hmm. the women's race. I, it, it, you know, I, I think we're at that point um, in cycling and in women's cycling that that absolutely has to happen. I mean, it, it, especially if they're hours and hours and hours ahead, we're not going to miss anything mm-hmm. in the men's race. And if we do, they can always go they, back we, and roll. You it. can show it. Yeah. So give the ladies um, their due and 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 show half hour or, or whatever at yeah, least. They made a couple mentions of it when it was about fifteen k out, sure. and, I, and I thought for sure they're going to show the last ten k, the last five k. Yeah. Of the women's, and, and we didn't get to see it. Yep. Which is a bummer. Good point. But they did, uh, as far as coverage-wise, we were we were talking about it, was we've always seen the the, the follow moto cameras um, and a helicopter. So it was either right in the action or really, really wide. Mm-hmm. And we're pretty sure they had some drones in there pretty close to the action. On like the Pottersburg, it, it, it either, yeah, there was something... You, you always know when it's being shot from the helicopter because you hear the helicopter. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was, uh, a, a lot closer, but just dead silent. So it, maybe they ha- either, you know, in the NFL games, they have them on a wire or, or I've never seen live footage from a drone. I guess that obviously that's probably possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but it looked great. I mean, for, um, you know, for a sport that really needs to start thinking about its content and what that looks like to the viewer, a new viewer, an old viewer or whatever, um, well, that was a that was a good look, even though it was a, a different look than we've seen a little little closer, a little tighter for an aerial. There's still many times we were like, "Give us the big aerial," because we, we couldn't tell what the gaps look like. We talk every time we talk about a bike race, we talk about that front I know. camera angle. It's and just, it's, it's just, I guess it's just a camera crew thing of being intuitive of when the fans want to see what that looks yeah, like. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, look, it's deceiving. When, when Nikki Terpstra caught that breakaway of three guys and went straight through them, and and started to just hammer. Uh, from that front angle, you're like, oh, Can't they're tell. on him. They're, 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 yeah. It looks like they're on his wheel when. Yeah. And, you know, and then all of a sudden you get a little more perspective or a higher perspective. And you're like, oh, no, he's going, he's riding away. So it's, it's, it's funny. Funny. Very, very deceiving. Now let's talk about the win. If you want to describe how it went down, uh, why it happened, and then we'll talk about the team aspect. Yeah, well, the, the, look, you, you can't not stress it enough. The team, quick team quick step was, <laughs> I mean, that was... Uh, like I said, that was teamwork 101. I mean, they got they had two in the top three, three in the top 10. They had the race completely controlled. But compare and contrast to Sagan, who had Daniel Oss, his teammate, for a while. Then he got dropped. Then he's alone. Yeah. And when you're that big of a favorite, everybody's just going to look at you. But the move, I mean, Nicky Terpstra didn't win only because his team was that good. 
Keep in mind, uh, Vincenzo Nibali, who just won Milan San Remo, has won all three Grand Tours, so has won Lombardia twice. I mean, this guy is, is one of the best of his generation. Mm-hmm. He attacked alone. Terpstra bridges up to him. They're together working. The next little, you know, slight climb, he rides Nibali off his wheel. Nibali didn't sit up to go back and, and you know, play a different deck. Mm. He wanted to be there. He rode him off his wheel. I mean, that's... If you're a, a, a 6'1", 175-pound classics guy, r- riding a three-time you know, winner of the Tour of France, Tour of Spain, Tour of Italy off your wheel, that's some shit right there. That's, that is amazing. And so from that point on... It wasn't all tactics. It was some definite strength oh, no. on I mean, his it part. Was, he's, 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 it, it was all... I mean, he's got a V12. Yeah. I mean, he, he has a V12. He's won Perry Ribet. He won... Harold Becker, the a semi-classic last week. He's clearly on form. He puts every, for you fans at home, he puts everything on Strava. Obviously, every training ride. He, the, the win today in Tour of Flanders will be on his Strava account, which I just think is unbelievable. He, when he won Roubaix, he put it on Strava. That is so awesome. It's very cool that he, that he shows. I mean, okay, if you're a competitor, can you extract any data from i've never gone deep on strava is, well, you, it, is you, there a lot of information that could yeah, be helpful I mean, or is it if you were maybe not i mean for these races it's it's you know it's, it's i don't think it's that advantageous to spy on your competitors yeah. training because there's there's these races so much can happen tactically yeah. um you know mechanically um and you could look at the data and not know exactly yeah, what was you're not happening gonna, at that time. You don't. You got to get in the race and, yeah. and see what happens. But but for the big tours where you're, you know, things are a little or not a little, they're way more calculated. Absolutely, I'd, I'd be. Chris Froome has started to put his training on Strava, but I, I would be surprised if any of these big guys did that leading up to the Tour de France. But hey, I mean, he did it. And and just one more thing about him is, you know, he was totally committed when he got. To Nibali, then drop Nibali. Then he was in no man's land. Yeah, he didn't sit there for a long time. No, nope. but right. but what he did have right was three teammates back in that group, which was twenty to thirty guys that they just kept covering everything, and it's so demoralizing mm-hmm. if you're in that group and you don't have a teammate. You know, I think uh, yeah, but at that point you're just sort of one and one and one. And they had three guys, mm-hmm. so they just neutralized, neutralized, defended, neutralized. And at, and at one point, I, and I know you're a fan of Peter Sagan. He tries to make the bridge, mm. threw in the towel, and went back to the group. I mean, was that tactical or was he just blowing up? I think he realized that he wasn't going to, um, that he wasn't going to make it across. Right. And so I should sit in and sprint for third. Yeah, and I, but I, 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 I'm sure possibly he got, he got, second. He got, yeah, maybe second. He got sixth. Um, but he he put in a big effort when he was out there by himself. It, it, Peter Sagan doesn't care about getting third in the Tour of Flanders. Right. No. No. So let's talk second about pl- if, second place loser. What's it like for a guy like Sagan? Where? On well, by in, the way, the whole day, JB, we talked about this, and I got a text in the middle of the race from George Hincap. He said. Sagan is, he's not even breathing. We, yeah. you, for all those, of you, those of you who watched at home, I mean, on the climbs, I mean, in, in, it's not like we were just looking at him because you're seeing 50 guys go by. Everybody else is, is on the limit. He, he wasn't even breathing. I'm like, he looks super chilled. In oh. fact, they threw an expression on me that you had to explain. Fingers in the nose. His fingers, he was just, he could have, you could have plugged his nose, his mouth. He was still. While everyone else is yeah, tongue out gasping. Yeah, every, every orifice is breathing. So my question is, 
what's it like career-wise, like a bigger picture for a guy like Sagan where on any given day he could win, but his team doesn't have the strength of quick step? What, what does that mean? Like, does he? Does somebody like that want to be pulled into a, a bigger team? Is he happy well, he, where well, he, he is? He came or? from a bigger team. and, and um, so, so it's – look, Peter Sagan – made the choice to go to, to the team that he's on, uh, Bora Hansgrove, um, for money, which is what I'm not, I'm not criticizing that every athlete does that. Mm -hmm. But when you do that, you also have to ask the question, okay, what is this team that I'm going to, how well can they support me? Whether it's trying to win tour Flanders or trying to win the green Jersey, because Peter Singan can do a lot of things by himself, but he can't do everything by himself. And so without knowing, cause I don't know, total team budgets. I don't know what Bora Hansgrove's total budget is. I don't know what Quick Step's total budget is. Um, but, you know, at, 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 having said that, Quick Step is a team that is focused on these races. They're not going to go win the Tour de France. They're not going to, they mm -hmm. want to win spring classics. So even if their budgets were the same, they've used that money to hire and, and select riders that can win these races. Mm -hmm. So they'll be at the Tour of Spain in September. You won't even know they're in the race. But if they've won Flanders and maybe Roubaix and you know, et cetera, et cetera, uh, Harold Becker last week, I mean, they um, their season is made. And so Sagan has to decide, right, if he obviously he wants the money and he gets the money and takes the money. Um, he, he, he's tried to reinforce that team with some, uh, with some stronger guys, but you saw, I mean, when the race got five and a half hours long or old or into it, um, and, and you know, again, these races are 160 miles, they just weren't there. And, and so hard, you got to be really lucky to be alone and win against four guys from quick step. But then there's also, it's kind of a. Uh, a catch twenty two when you go to a team that isn't strong as strong because do you want to do you make a decision to be the guy so there isn't a leader controversy at some point like does that make sense like you could go to a team that's stronger 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 but then you may end up with a leader controversy which well you may but he won't oh yeah I know <laughs> he's he will never have that well he may have that problem at the end of his career but he's not gonna have that problem for a while but but is that a decision that a lot of writers have to look at do I get to I can go to this team that's not as strong as where I am now but I'm gonna be the guy yeah I mean I guess I I, I can't imagine thinking that way but I'm I'm yeah maybe they do one thing I do want to uh, also point out is is uh, with regards to quick step which is managed by Patrick Lefevre, um, who's, who's been in cycling for a long, long time. This is his, so as a manager, this is his 11th, based on my math, I could be wrong, this is his 11th Tour de Flanders, or Tour Flanders victory. So started in 1993 with Johan Museu and then went through all the years. This is number 11. That's pretty impressive. And, you know, on coverage and in fan world, I, I don't know where you dig deep. I mean, you were inside of it, but we don't hear a lot about the managers and... I know you have some NASCAR friends, right? Mm -hmm. And they talk a lot about that, the fans of that sport, the team, the managers. The, they talk about the crew chief. The crew chief. The crew chief is arguably... But I don't think cycling does enough. I, I'd like to hear more of the, yeah, I mean, those I mean, tacticians. It, it, and, yeah, it depends. I, you know, it, it, it comes in waves maybe or, or just depends on the personality. I mean, in my, in my run, I mean, a lot of people talked about Johan Bernil. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was the Bill Belichick of cycling at the time. If you go even before that, I mean, a guy like Cyril Guimard in, in France or 
Roger Liget. I mean, they were personalities as well. I mean, look, Dave Brailsford, right? Warts and all, love him or, or hate him. He he's a major personality. And so Lefevre is, um, and I think he's changed because early on he was he was out front more. And he's obviously he's been at it a long time. He's getting older, so he's stepped back a bit. But um, if you know enough about the sport, I mean, when Nikki Terpstra is just across the finish line and there's a total bum rush, which we can get into later, because that thing is the dumbest thing in the world. That they all these people and media and the photographers, mob. like, you, you dude, just, the guy <laughs> just rode 160 miles. How about we get the fuck away? <laughs> Give me some space. Let his wife in, let his teammates in, and let the manager in, which that's when you immediately saw Lefebvre there. But mm -hmm. the whole, the bum rush, he's like cramping and people, ugh. I could, having watched obviously many finishes with you now, I, you get very frustrated. Like your, your blood pressure's elevating at the end of the race with the mob. I know. And, and, it's, then, and, and it then, does no good. And then the same That's thing, worthless. like Higgins gets so frustrated too, because he was probably the guy trying to help stiff arm those people at yeah. the end of many races. It's not, it's been around. I'm, I'm just waiting. <laughs> I'm just seeing if he's updated his Strava page with his, yeah. with maybe it'll come in before we, well, He's still getting Higgs, mobbed. When's the, when did you check? I mean, I'm my Strava. By the way, it's so it loads so slow. I don't know what's wrong. But um, explain this to me because I heard multiple comments today, and also you referenced it earlier on this show already. Mm -hmm. A Belgian team, a Dutch rider. I have no idea what those dynamics mean. I have no idea what other than it's been a long time having a Dutch winner. I don't know what that means. I mean, is that like is that like when a Canadian baseball team wins the World Series? Is that how is it is it something like that? Well, yeah, okay, it's a great question. I, I'm, I'm gonna and I'm gonna take it a step farther, right? So you have you have two countries that border each other side by side: Belgium and Holland. You have a language. You basically have a shared language, right? So uh, in Holland, they speak Dutch. Uh, and in Belgium, they speak a dialect of Dutch called Flemish, right? And so, but they can communicate, they understand each other. It's, it's you know, it's communication simple. Um, but with like any state that's, that's side by side or country that's side, there's a rivalry, right? And so whether it's um, a soccer match between the Bel Belgian national team and the Dutch, that would be a massive match. That's way bigger than Belgium versus Switzerland. That's a snooze fest. I mean, in terms of right. intensity and right, emotion right, and right, passion, right? Right. right. Um, or, or, or whatever. So uh, you have this natural uh, uh, rivalry, which is, and, and I think Belgians by and large have a, a bit of a chip on their shoulder. I mean, Holland is a, is a um, you know, is, is a different place. Uh, a little more glamorized, uh, maybe? I'm, 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 now I'm, <laughs> now I'm, you're being careful. Now I'm being very careful. <laughs> um, I love you both, but um, I, I think they have a bit of a chip on their shoulder, but the, here's, the, here's where it gets interesting, right? It's because not, not only did they not have a, a Belgian win, um, but even if Philippe Gilbert had won, see, he is from Gilbert who got third from Quickstep. He is from Belgium but he's from the French speaking part of Belgium. So it gets even nastier, right? You've got maybe a Belgian and a Dutch rivalry, but within Belgium, you have Flanders and you have Wallonia. One speaks Flemish, the other speaks French, and then that's really intense. Can't they just hug it out? Uh, you know, they're, they're very, very different, man. I'm telling you, I mean, so, so Gilbert might've won and there would have been plenty of people from Flanders like, oh shit. 
a Belgian, but that that wouldn't have been a win for them. Was it heated? So it goes deeper and deeper. When they signed Terpstra to the Belgian team, was that heated? Was that like a big thing? No, no. They signed, he, I looked it up. They signed him. Um, they signed him in 2011. So he's been there a okay. long time. People have accepted it. It's interesting. They were talking about it on the on the Fubo coverage that there's there is talk that sometimes in the races he kind of rides his own race, um, meaning doesn't obey team orders, just sort of an individual, uh, just goes rogue. Uh, he might have done that today, but but here's the thing: like within that team, the one who does it first. It could have been Stebar, it could have been Gilbert, it could have been uh, Terpstra. Whoever goes first, they get it, right? So the other guys, there's nothing they can do. If, if, if they're back in the main bunch, they have to say, all right, you know, I, um, you know, maybe I should have done that. But, mm -hmm. but they probably couldn't have done it the way he did it because when he went, it was, I mean, it was like a motorcycle. I want to leave with a Eddie Merck's quote that I learned today while we were watching, unless you have any final thoughts on today's race before we do that um i don't i mean i don't have any uh other thoughts i thought again it was a it was a super exciting race i thought just like milan san remo to start the the classic season you had a, a winner who deserved to win i mean mm -hmm. it wasn't he didn't luck into this yeah nibbly didn't luck into it very similar wins yeah. in fact uh where you have a rider that just that just said look i'm i'm gonna um i'm gonna make the race i'm gonna make the race happen and 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 we'll see if it works, right? Those were, you know, what Nibali did in Milan San Remo was gutsy. What Terpstra did today was gutsy. Yeah. So those are the guys that you want to win, right? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody just said, okay, here you go. Yeah. And, I mean, it was it was a classic power victory. And so you just can, you have more respect for a finish like that, it sounds like. As opposed to yeah, hey, let's I mean, duke it out. I'd be and, fine and then you're with like, I'd be fine with 15 guys sprinting and Peter Sagan winning. I'd be fine with that too. But yeah. um, you know. I, and I love it to, you know, I, I came from a team that, that really believed in teamwork and, and, and building a team around specific goals and running the tactics through and, and, and winning. And so that's, that's what they did. So I can really appreciate that. All right. Now share with us. A so, the, so from the, you know, Eddie Merck's <laughs> old friend of mine. Um, I've known a long time, um, highs and lows, et cetera, et cetera. He, he's won a lot of bike races. He won Milan San Remo seven times, Liege up to a million times, five tours, you know, the world's a, a lot. And so his great, the greatest quote that he ever said about the tour of finals is like, oh my God, that race is so hard. I could only win it twice. <laughs> I mean, only twice. I feel really bad <laughs> for the cannibal. You know, you only got two Flanders. There you go. Next up on stages. Next weekend, little little preview. Okay, so next, yeah, so next weekend again to 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 stay in this pattern of of covering the spring classics, uh, Perry Roubaix next weekend, the hell of the north. You thought the cobblestones were bad today? Just keep this in mind, people. You look at some of these things uh, from today and, and realize that the the cobbles are rough. Perry Roubaix, I mean the the, the Ironburg Forest and these sections are so bad. I mean it, 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 they're 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 ten times rougher. Now they're flat. The other interesting thing is I think they're calling for some rain. It's been a long time since we had a rainy Perry Roubaix. That changes everything. And so um, I can't wait for that. And we'll, we'll, you know, hop right back on the air and, and, and cover it uh, just like we did today. I read enough children's books that, to know that the forest is usually bad. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll have Ooh, that to look forward to. That was a little creepy. <laughs> Are you okay? Happy Easter, bunny. <laughs> wow. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>